Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next, Hall of Fame Spotlight, Paul Fanner. Our guest today on Inside the SCCA is the guy responsible for bringing us the news for nearly 40 years. Paul Fanner is one of SCCA's 2022 Hall of Fame inductees, and for good reason. Paul started off in the SCCA as a Formula Ford driver in the 1970s, and he became Cal Club's newsletter publisher, and that was a sign of things to come. In 84, he began publishing the, the club's sports car magazine. Back before the interwebs, sports car was how we all got the news. From there, he launched Racer Magazine, which to this day, in my humble opinion, is the most beautiful motorsports magazine in the world. It's the photographer in me talking. So join me in welcoming 2022 SCCA Hall of Fame inductee, Paul Fanner, to Inside the SCCA. How you doing, Paul? Great, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Just It's uh, such an amazing honor. My first question was going to be, when you hear say, someone say... SCCA Hall of Fame inductee Paul Fanner. How does that make you feel? Uh, well, it it's honestly made my heart skip a beat the first time somebody said that to me because I never actually considered myself to be worthy. It's uh, one of those things you just go along doing what you do and you love to do. And then uh, somebody tells you that it's, it's astonishing. It's such a mix of emotions. Um, but the most important thing I feel out of all of this is I'm really proud to be an SCCA member. I always have been. Uh, it was the, it, I, for me, it was the moment of commitment to make right. this my life. Right. I was reading, you started in 1969 at Riverside was your first SCCA event. How did you get interested or how, how did you get to that first event? Well, I was interested in racing. My dad took be to see the 1964 Indy 500 um, on closed circuit television the first time it was televised. And um, he was in the space program working at Apollo and all of his friends, I kept hearing them talk about uh, Dan Gurney, Jimmy Clark, Phil Hill, um, and uh, Carol Shelby, names like that. And so I had a curiosity and I was completely taken with it. So I obsessed on uh, sports car, graphic, road and track, um, uh, Auto Week, National Speed Sport News. So I was into that stuff. I was an artist. I was drawing cars and racing cars. And uh, uh, when I got finally to, uh, I think it was a sophomore year in high school, our group of friends decided to go to the Trans Am finale at Riverside. And uh, all I'll say is I've never been the same person since because <laughs> they had a Formula Ford race. They had some production car support races. Uh, Trans Am was awesome, but... I just, I had to know more and I, Riverside was a place I wanted to be. Uh, I, I have a similar story. Uh, when I was a teenager, my best friend's dad took my best friend and I to Road America 
for an IMSA race. This is back in the day when the GTP Nissan with, with (laughs) Jeff Brabham was the coolest thing on earth, in my opinion. And uh, I discovered bikinis and racing on the same weekend at road America. And I was hooked. That's a great mix. (laughs) It's a a good combination. The only thing better is man bikinis. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So formula Ford was your, your first place, your first stop. And uh, I, a little bird told me that if I wanted to have a six-hour podcast, I should ask you about the Eldon. Oh, the Eldon, probably. It's, well, <laughs> the ad said it's the world's fastest Formula Ford, um, and we're still trying to prove that. Uh, but, you know, the way these things work is, you know, your, uh, your interest is already up. And uh, reading Auto Week with my friends, and there's a uh, ad in Auto Week for the Eldon winning the world cup. It was a shootout where they bought all of the top drivers from the SCCA and every other major country that had formula Ford to Brad's hatch in uh, October or November of, I think 1972 and the Eldon won. So I called a place called automotive development in orange, California. And we went down to look at an Eldon and the sales guy put me in the car and I was like hooked. I wanted to drive so badly at that point. I would do anything to figure out how to earn money. And they, uh, when we got back to the house, they we got a phone call. We had a little business cards. We had a graphics business and they needed help with some artwork that we designed their, we designed their logo and they were building another formula Ford. They had one that had been wrecked that I'd seen earlier in a race in Ontario. That was the ADF, the predecessor of the Swift. So from that moment, I became involved with that group and I designed the logos for the Swift, all the concept illustrations for David Bruns all the way up through probably the DB5, the DB6. DB6, I think it was the last one I did, all of the car, you know, racing cars they designed. And I became kind of a human CAD CAM machine for everybody building racing cars. I draw them in perspective and, and render them as they will look when they're built. And, mm-hmm. But it, it all started again out of that curiosity of wanting to get into Formula Ford. And the Eldon, I eventually raced an Eldon. I bought the, the uh, Cal Club driver of the year, was Alan Hawley, and I was a big fan of his. I bought his car. And then... Uh, I still race with Alan uh, to this day. We, we ran him a few years ago and uh, we're, we're both getting on in years, but we have two Eldons, so we still race them. Now, do you, you race them in vintage, I'm guessing? We're racing them in vintage now, but we okay. raced them in period and in, in, I raced Cal Club as did Alan and, uh, and, you know, Cal Club's my home region and uh, the bedrock of all my relationships. Uh, uh, you know, again, I spill over into San Francisco and San Diego region. A lot of my friends and, and uh, mentors were from both ends of California. But uh, yeah, the uh, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. There was a lot of stuff going on in, in those regions at, in the 1970s, and they were just awesome groups of people. And uh, we had 60 car, pl- 60 plus Formula Ford grids back then. So not to go off on a tangent, but I'm going to for a bit here. In other parts of the world, Formula Ford is still wildly popular. Formula Ford yeah. in Europe, uh, Formula Ford in Australia. Why, why do you think it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster in the SCCA in recent years? I mean, I, I go to a, a let's forget about the runoffs where you get a lot of people who go. But, you know, we sometimes have three or four Formula Fords now at Cal Club races on a good weekend. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's the club has moved on to other things. Um, and I don't want please don't take this as critical of the SCCA, but uh, SCCA uh, 
went a direction with the Honda Fit that many embrace. You know, I think we're, you know, probably a couple hundred people have bought Fit conversions across the U.S. And the Ford-powered units have not largely been competitive. And uh, those are usually, the Fit motors are usually fitted into more modern cars. Sure. Um, the core of the Formula Ford DNA to me personally is a Formula Ford, it's a Ford Kent motor. It's not a Fit. I, I, I would, uh, I think they're, they're, to me, they're almost two different classes in, in, in emotionally, maybe not intellectually. Right. So, uh, so that's part of it. Um, and then there really are big grids up in Northern California. CSRG has had uh, so many cars they've had to have a qualifying race because they're open to Formula Ford rules. Wow. And I've often wondered why SCCA didn't start an SCCA classic division because S everybody's celebrating SCCA's history, but SCCA. And uh, this is again, not critical. Um, this is a long-term relationship that I'm an SCCA person through and through. I just want our club to win everywhere. And uh, I think that to me, is just an obvious thing to do. That's an interesting concept. If you were to put together like on the same, even in the same races, you could run a classic Ford or a classic V or a classic, you could run the IT cars, get more IT cars out if you were running it in its own division. So uh, yeah, and and I agree. I think most importantly though, we're really, uh, our club is forward on safety. You know, we're trying to always move the safety standard up and these vintage organizations, uh, they're, they're not, uh, unsafe there, but they're, they're not requiring uh, the chassis mods and some of the safety upgrades that you find in a modern race car, you know, you're required to have the most modern safety gear, sure, but you're not required to put the structure in, let's say you'd find in most SCCA legal formula Fords. So there's, there's some, there's some conflict in uh, rules mentality, sure. but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I look at the fact that uh, we have, low injury rates and, and certainly I haven't seen any uh, fatalities in uh, the vintage racing formula Ford side. So I think there's that you go where the number of entries are. And right. uh, uh, so that, that to me is just something that, you know, I, I often lament that that wasn't done quite some time ago. That could have been done 20 years ago. And I think that CCA would have a different narrative right now. Sure. Sure. So you, how many events a year do you get out to these days to drive? Uh, well, none. Uh, I haven't driven my Formula Ford since 2007. Okay. Um, uh, we we had a thing called um, uh, the Carpocalypse hit us right as we were launching a video uh, platform with Jay Penske called On Cars. So we had two kids that were babies at that time. They're now yep. in college. So we stopped. But now the cars are being prepped. Um, I, I co-own one of the cars with... Uh, uh, Robert Clark, who was ironically the founder of Honda Performance Development, okay, uh, so he, he's going to be uh, the he's going to be racing a Formula Ford. How ironic is that? Um, given what I said a few minutes ago, um, right? And right. and uh, and I've got my primary Elden, which is identical to mine, and I'm I'm returning from my 50th anniversary. Uh, uh, I'm going to do this lap next year uh, to celebrate my my first professional year in motorsports. So the cars are got a trailer, got everything ready to go. So I'll be racing probably in, in the West coast for the most part in the various vintage organizations. I wish I could race this car in SCCA to be truthful. Sure, 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 sure. So you mentioned that when you got started in formula Ford, you had used your, 
your acumen for graphics design to help get that funding to, to go racing. So was that a family business before even you got into racing? Is that how you got into this kind of design publishing kind of thing? No, I, I was unemployable. So I took the skills <laughs> I had in high school. So uh, I, I've done a film series that uh, j- just put up on racer.com. The fourth episode is called forging ahead. So um, everybody in registration, please cover your ears. Um, uh, uh, my, my, my friends and I, I had, I have the, what was the chief registrar at Cal club, uh, uh Molly Biggs, uh, is our producer. So she knows the story and hasn't prosecuted <laughs> me yet. But, um, uh, I, when I was in sophomore in high school, uh, they had a formula one versus formula 5,000 race at Ontario motor speedway, which was a replica of the Indianapolis motor speedway, but with a really bitchin' high speed road course. And I'd already been out to see a regional at this uh, road course in 1970. And it was, Alan Hawley won it, by the way. And it was fantastic. It was one of those life-changing experiences where you think this is the most cool racetrack, most cool thing to be at a road race here. Loved it. So they had this Formula One race and I wanted to go because I was a Mario Andretti fan. Sure. And so I took my artistic skills. I was working at a sporting goods store. Somebody it was sponsored by the Quester Corporation, which owned Spalding. Okay. The store owner received a pit credential. He said, I don't care about it. I don't want to go. Do you want this? And um, sure. So uh, but I had four other friends uh, and we, I stayed up all night and painted. They were very graphically nice uh, credentials. I Uh-oh. painted using acrylic painted and and colored tape, I made uh, four more of them, uh, made them look like little plastic badges. Um, and we took our uh, eight millimeter movie camera out and we filmed it. We went trackside. We literally made a movie of this, uh, not realizing uh, we would later burn in hell for it. But <laughs> it, so forging ahead begins with this. But that's really the origin moment of my company. I decided I'm going to be in this business. Mm. And, uh, and we, we get the the journey began that day it was fantastic we did get caught we did later get caught when we tried to redo this uh uh escapade um but uh undaunted uh i ended up we, we started a magazine called formula it was okay called formula ford Re- review it it started my garage kind of as a result of this group of people coming together to do this little escapade sure sure and i was uh, i think i was 18 when we launched formula and wow uh, so that was uh, um, that was something that started uh, with a guy named Don Alexander and my, my high school friend Mike Van Adder. We we made this magazine happen. And now you're you know part of Racer Media, and look where it is all gone, right? It, yeah, it's pretty interesting uh, <laughs> to think about it because it's all to, you know when you live through it, it's all one thing. You know, sure. It's one, um, but, you know, I, I, I do have to say that I've told a number of people this week, cause I've had a lot of phone calls and, um, you know, my, my father died on his 48th birthday in 1973, September 11th, 1973 and, uh, profound effect on me. And, uh, I was a bit lost when that happened and without the adult supervision that I encountered in Cal club region, especially a little bit, uh, uh, Northern Cal, California region, uh, uh, and San Francisco region, excuse me, uh, and San Diego region. I had, I met people who took me under their wing and 
really leaned into me. I stayed out of drugs. I stayed out of drinking. I stayed out of all the stuff that could have destroyed somebody at that era. Uh, and I was given things to do and I was showed such kindness and they just saw in me, I think something where, you know, I belong there and I wanted to be there and I worked question box. Uh, I worked briefly in timing and scoring and then they, until they realized I was probably not qualified to work in timing scoring. Uh, but uh, uh, that was when it was a lot harder to do oh, timing and scoring. Way harder. You were do. taping uh, and all this kind know, of stuff uh, before I just, computers. I just couldn't do it. I yeah. just had the, yeah. I had the attention span of a gnat. Um, <laughs> uh, but I was good to go down to get food from mm. the snack bar. I, I, I learned that's what I was really good at at, at, at timing and scoring. Very nice. But uh, I, I just, I had this, it was a time where the workers and the competitors commingled pretty openly and we all got along really well. And, you know, you just knew everybody. Right. You'd show up and it was this little mini city of people wanting to go racing. Uh, some of them were wearing white or had specialties and some of them were wearing driver's suits and some of them were working on cars. But, you know, we all knew each other, parked near each other, talked to each other, did things together. There were events before and after the the races. It just it was wonderful because I was immersed in a culture, and that right. was the SCCA culture. Right. You know, I tell people, most people who you know, I race cars or I go to the racetrack, and and you know, they go, oh yeah, that sounds like fun, and and we all I think get to the SCCA because we love cars, or we yeah. think we want to go fast. If you've been with the club for any length of the time, it's not because of the cars; it's because of the people. And, yeah. you know, I have family members who are blood family members, and then I have family members who are racing family members, and I would step in front of a bus for either of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, one of my, my daughter's best grandpa figures is an SCCA racer. Who's not part of our family, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's all part of this whole SCCA culture that I think is, is the fabric of what makes this club, what it is more than more, yeah. much more than the cars and the racing. And it's great to hear you talk about that as well, because, you know, my first driver's school in a, in a sports Renault back when that was a thing, yeah. you know, I, I got into a wreck uh, three, three sessions in tore up the whole front of the car. I am distraught because I've busted my father's race car. And yeah. uh, I had to go to my, my next classroom session, you know, with my instructors. And when I came back, there must've been 20 people in and around yeah. this car, yeah. pulling fun. parts from different trailers yeah. and, and getting this car back together before the next, I didn't miss a single session you know, and that's, that's what this club's all about, right? It is. And it's lifelong friendships. I, I was touched. I was at Velocity International um, this weekend. I was at Road Atlanta too this last weekend. You know, it, this is my life. Sometimes I'm at three racetracks on a single mm. weekend. Uh, but I was at Velocity and uh, my friend, John Norman, who I met on October 15th, 1972, I think it was when he was racing in the under two liter uh, you know, under two liter Trans Am car. I met him in 1972 and he's still racing the same alpha now in vintage racing, but he'd been a director when we were uh, SCCA national director, uh, when we were chosen for the sports car contract, you know, our, our journeys kind of intersected again there. And we were just talking about, you know, my God, we, 
we've known each other now for 49 years. And I started thinking about it on the drive home uh, to Southern California about how many people I still know or played significant roles out of my interaction with the club. And the list is endless. Nick Craw being probably my number one life mentor, Mike Hull, who was my driving school instructor, who now runs Chip uh, Ganassi Racing. Right. You know, uh, Paul White, Jules Williams at Automotive Development. Uh, the list goes on and on. But Hank Thorpe, Andy Porterfield, Marge Banks, Phil Banks, um, just these people uh, not only inspired me, uh, but they also taught me about life. They, yeah. they, they, uh, and, uh, they made me feel like I was making the right choice to pour my life into the club and pour my interest into the, uh, the sport. Yeah. And, and for those who are maybe new to the club, you just, you know, rattled off the names of some of the pillars of the SECA, you know, the Binks family, the Porterfield, Nick Craw. I mean, these are folks who, you know, wh whether we don't always like each other. <laughs> we don't always love each other, you know, but these are people who, who really put dedicated a good portion of their life to making the SCCA what it is. And now you're, you know, going to be honored with, with some of those names as well, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting how the club has evolved over the years. You've been in it since the seventies. I've been in it since the eighties. You know, I, I think you and I have both seen a lot of different changes, yeah. but, but I think, do you agree that the, the, the basic premise of what we do really hasn't changed. Oh, I, I, I think, you know, as I think it was Hayward who came up with Hayward Wagner came up with fun with cars and uh, uh, I put an asterisk and, and really cool people. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, that is the essence of what we do. And uh, uh, I, at SCCA national convention to me is walking into my high school reunion and mm. being with my people, being with my friends. It's my safe space. I, I literally, feel a sense of joy. I don't feel uh, when I'm going to all these professional races and doing all the other things I do uh, in my life. Uh, that's, I feel home. I'm at home. And uh, it, uh, and it, it's simply because we're all kind of going the same direction. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. You know, we're there, we're there for a reason is that we, we all want to be there, right. um, uh, which I don't find at other places I go. <laughs> sure. Sure. So uh, member Steve from Illinois wanted me to ask you, what SCCA race have you seen or raced in that sticks in your mind as your most memorable over the years? Oh, this is an easy one for me. Um, you know, uh, the 1978 SCCA Formula Ford runoffs. Um, I, my roommate uh, at the time was uh, David Loring. He was driving for Dan Gurney. I'm a huge Dan Gurney fan. Uh, David's girlfriend, Suzette, ended up being my business partner to launch the company. And Gary Brown, who was Dan's CFO, was my other business partner. But Dan, they didn't have the budget to even send uh, uh, the Eagle. It was the Eagle Formula Ford to Atlanta that year. They were struggling. It was uh, just a difficult time for AAR. So David made it happen. And... Uh, he fought his way to the front, was winning the race. Uh, the engine was failing and trailing smoke. At the same time, my friend Mike Hall and his group from uh, automotive, or actually Steve Anderson Racing, but they had an ADF, Mike Mokler, who I'd raced in my driver's school, uh, had come from last after a practice crash at a replacement car that they wow. prepped in, in the trailer on the way to, from the airport to the, 
<laughs> to the racetrack for, for practice. Uh, that car went from last to second and nearly caught David. And David won the race. And uh, I was overcome with just joy for being in that moment. I thought of it again this weekend when I was uh, down at, last weekend when I was at Road Atlanta of what it was like to be there in that moment, meet David in, in Victory Circle and Mike in Victory Circle. And uh, it's honestly, there've been very few things in my life that have felt that that good. Uh, and I was also at that moment, I'd been appointed the editor of Sports Car. So I got to write about it. Cool. And, and it was just sensational. And the outpouring of joy for David winning that race and for an Eagle winning the Formula Ford National Championship. And the celebration we had afterwards was a quiet one, but it was really profound. It was a profound day. That's so cool, so cool. If you wanna ask our guests questions, follow us on Twitter at RacingWireNet, or we'll post the, uh, the, the names of our guests on the official SCCA Facebook page so you can ask questions and we'll ask questions of our guests when we get them. And this one again came from uh, Steve from Illinois. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to actually dig into Sports Car Magazine and how that all came together. And we will bring you this week's SCCA news. We'll be right back. It's Friday, November 26, 2021. This is Inside the SCCA News. I'm Alex Polanski. The SCCA is reimagining how it does business, putting its focus back on grassroots road racing programs and shifting away from operating professional racing series. Heading into 2022, the club will give more control of SCCA Pro Racing to Pirella Motorsports Holdings. Under the expanded agreement, PMH will assume responsibility for promotion, operating, staffing, and commercial aspects of SCCA Pro Racing beginning in 2022, while sanction and FIA sporting oversight of the F4 US and FRA championships and FIA international events will remain with SCCA. PMH already handles the promotion and commercial rights management of the Trans Am Series, F4, United States Championship, and Formula Regional Americas, FRA Series. The club is also launching a new enduro racing program. With the shift of operations to PMH comes a leadership shift within SCCA, with VP of Road Racing Eric Prill now overseeing both professional and amateur road racing activities for the club. Along with Prill's roles to bridge SCCA's club-based programs to SCCA pro racing interests, an additional staff shift will begin with SCCA's track-based experiential programs with road racing competition programs. John Krolowitz, current senior manager of time trials and track events, will add endurance and regional-based road racing to his portfolio, moving forward as the new senior manager of regional track program development. SCCA Pro Racing General Manager Sidney Davis-Yagel will transition to a senior management role with PMH at the end of the year, continuing to work closely with Pro on SCCA Pro Racing Initiatives. Road Racing Director Deanna Flanagan's role leading the Summit Racing Equipment SCCA Road Racing Program, including the U.S. Major Tours, Hoosier Super Tour, and National Champion Runoffs remain unchanged. New England Region has announced its race dates for 2022. Here are the highlights. Their school is April 21st and 22nd at Thompson. Then they open their racing action April 30th and May 1st at Palmer. Their New Hampshire Motor Speedway opener is May 14th and 15th, and their first event at Lime Rock is June 24th and 25th. Throughout the summer, there are two more events at Thompson and another at NHMS before the annual Pig Roast Race at Palmer September 10th and 11th, and the season finale at Thompson Championship Weekend is October 14th and 15th. 
Buttonwillow's second racetrack construction has been stymied by the worldwide supply chain problems. It was originally scheduled to be ready for action in May of this year, but problems getting the supplies needed to complete the project have slowed things down. The new projected first race is hoping to be sometime in the summer of 2022. If you'd like to add something to the new segment, send it to us at raceannouncerbrian at gmail.com. For SCCA News, I'm Alex Blansky. We're back here with Paul Fanner, the uh, one of the latest SCCA Hall of Fame inductees in the 2022 class. Uh, over time, we're going to interview, hopefully, all of those inductees and get them on the show, and, and we'll talk with all of them over time. So I, I'm looking forward to that very much so. So you, you mentioned it just before we went to break. You had gotten to write about your most favorite race in, in Sports Car Magazine. So 1984 comes. You're, I'm guessing at that point you're the editor of the magazine, and no, you no, no. H- how no. how do we get to becoming the the operator of Sports Car? Well, that's a that's quite a journey. Um, <laughs> uh, that involves me being spectacularly incompetent uh, as the catalyst for all of this. Uh, okay. Um, so I talked my way into being the editor of sports car, primarily because I want to drive every racing car I could get my hands on. And we're doing track tests and I was the art director and managing editor. So that part of it went really well. And, uh, and before I forget, I want to mention that Mike Mokler won the RRDC award for that, uh, that drive. So I was very proud of him. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the, as things went on, uh, it became apparent that uh, I, I didn't have the skill set necessary to be a magazine editor. I wasn't prepared for it. I, I quite I could write, but it took me forever. I just didn't know what I was doing, right. and uh, so I was uh, falling apart on the job trying to do, do that and go racing. I talked Mike Hall and the team that was importing Van Diemen Formula Fords to put me in a car. I'd done all of these things that were about me. They were selfish, and uh, it was an important lesson uh that i had to learn that uh, this business isn't about me um it's about the people we cover um and you know forgive me i was very young uh and i failed to get 12 issues done in uh in a 12-month period i got 11 and i think i quit before i would be fired um, (laughs) over something petty uh, when Paul Oxman Publishing had the contract, I'd help put the bid together to win it. Uh, and I left it a, uh, basically a, a, threw a fit and left and started my own company. And, uh, with Suzette went with me, uh, I, the, this was building for some time. Uh, I was, I would come home and complain about my job. Um, we, on the way home, we'd go by all American racers and then the prep bay of all American racers in the evening, there'd be Dan Gurney, Phil Revington, just some, some minor people in racing history. A couple, couple guys now. no one's ever heard of. And, uh, and finally one, you know, and Kathy White and, and over time I was encouraged by this group of people to, you know, why don't you start your own business? And here, here's Gary, he's our CFO. He might be interested. And so. That's eventually, you know, what we did in the, okay. uh, on December 18th, 1979. And our first client was Interscope Racing. They were going racing in IndyCar with a Porsche-powered IndyCar at that point. Okay. We did all the concept liveries. We did all of the media kit, media kit illustrations sure. and design. So that put us in business. My first publishing bid was to Cal Club region. I wanted to demonstrate we could do sports car. Um 
And uh, we also bid to the Alpha Male Owners Club. So we got two publishing contracts. And then my friend of about at that point, uh, six years, Skip Barber, uh, who I knew pretty well. Skip called me and said, look, I need to design a logo and a, a kind of a look and feel for our school. So we designed to still use the logo. Yeah. Um, so we did all of that in about a three month period. And, and Cal Club was the the second yes. The first yes was Interscope, but the first real yes as a company was Cal Club Region and Finish Line Magazine debuted. And that was the beginning of the march to sports car. And I bid on it multiple times and was not successful. Uh, in 19, May of 1983, uh, we did win the contract. Um, and that's the day I met Nick Craw and, yeah. uh, the rest is history. You know, back in the day, the region newsletters were, some of them were really impressive. Uh, you know, there's, uh, so many things. I, I mean, I've been involved with, I, I lose count. I think it's been eight regions now over the years, because yeah. yeah. being a journalist, I've moved around from market to market. And yeah. so f- started in Chicago and Milwaukee region, then Atlanta and all of anyway, the the regional newsletters, they came in the mail. It wasn't an email, you know, and some of these were were right on straight up magazines. And is, is that was. what is that what Cal Clubs was? Yeah, it was a, we in the end, we were a four color magazine with four color advertising. Wow. Um, I was very proud of it, um, but we never won a regional magazine or publishing award. How was that? Uh, John Kelly and the wheel okay. uh, was exceptional. It was just an amazing publication. Which was the, which the, region was the, the wheel? San Francisco, San Francisco okay. region. Yeah. My, my, you know, that that's one of the three regions uh, that I lived in. So I had to, I, I had to move in and out of my, you know, San Francisco region still is really an amazing region. They, right. they just, they've got their stuff together. And the wheel was really impressive. John was digging up dirt all the time. It was a news source and it was, it was a newspaper. We were a slick magazine. We were a smaller region, but, uh, uh, but the magazine was really intended to demonstrate the capability that we could produce sports car. And, you know, to be clear, we, we produced the, the finish line magazine through the launch eraser a year or two into the, uh, launch eraser. And we realized we just can't do all of it. And one of our employees took it forward when Jane Anderson moved, uh, 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 out of state, uh, but still part of the region. She took on the publishing of the magazine and did a terrific job. Sure. Sure. So 84, you take on sports car and w- what was the, what was the, the first thing you did with sports car when you took it over? Because there were some colossal changes over that, that, that little sh- short period of time. Well, it was, some of it was driven by us. Uh, other parts that were driven by what Nick wanted to do. Nick okay. was really uh, wanting to move the SCCA to a different place. Um, and I'll be frank, some of the changes I wasn't enthusiastic about. Um, uh, you weren't the only one. Uh, yeah, it uh, still, still fills me with grief that we had to change the format to something we did. But uh, we started off just redesigning it and just making it look much more contemporary and, and just right. tighter, more disciplined. Um, then uh, the idea of Fast Track came along. So they wanted more pages, more content. This was a time we didn't have the internet. So we went on to newsprint, like on track, which was a what Paul Lockman Publishing had done. And I was okay about that because we needed the pages and the members seemed to embrace it. And we had a fast track section, but I wasn't thrilled to be producing something on newsprint. That wasn't my life goal. Sure. Uh, and then they wanted to reduce the cost. And 
we went to a large format magazine that was oversized with newsprint and our advertisers hated it. The members hated it. I hated it. Um, you know, I would swear whatever you think. I just, it took the, it, but it was something that we proposed against the budget that was given to us. Right. Um, and we always remember we work for the club. We work for the members. I don't actually have too much of a say uh, in that. We're here to solve their problems. Uh, right. Uh, the, the national offices problems. And that's not the first or the last time that's going to happen. And we have no business if the club's problems aren't solved. So, sure. uh, and over time, that was just a constant, we need to get away from this. This is not a healthy thing for us to be doing. Uh, this is not helping the image of the club. Uh, I was particularly upset that it didn't fit in my beautiful binders where I had all of them lined up in my office. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we were able to get back to a magazine and, uh, it's been one, uh, a magazine ever since. So there was a move, uh, when I did leave the company, I sold the company's majority to Haymarket Media in 2000, uh, early 2001. I was there for five years, but when I left, there was a move when, to go digital, all digital that flopped. And we fought that like a banshee because I know our membership doesn't want a digital magazine, purely a digital magazine. Right, they might right. want it in addition to a magazine, but they wanted to have a print magazine. So we 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 save that uh, with a good conversation with, uh, um, you know, the national office team. Now today it's it's no longer a monthly magazine, right? right. Where it's what is it bi monthly? Right, and that's a that's a Mike Cobb uh, uh, decision. We support it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was born of the crisis last year that all of our businesses had, Sure, you know, we, we had a mortal crisis that we're still digging out of, you know, we, we lost a third of our income in the span of two weeks. Wow. Um, and the ad base is, is not likely to fully recover. Um, we have lost a lot of businesses during that time, which just simply ceased to exist. Right. Um, and the frequency, uh, has been met by an increased page count in each one of those magazines got it um and it it was a hardship at one level on us because we were built to produce uh uh a monthly magazine but at the same time we'd had one of our longtime team members uh jason isley had, had just before pandemic hit he'd been made an offer he couldn't refuse to leave the company and take another job um which uh, we miss him very much but that helped us in this sure. area Yep. Uh, when we had this decision come down, Philip Royal, who is the longest standing and, and maybe the you know, best editor we've ever had, period, in this magazine, he buckled down and figured out a way to make all this work by him doing this work alone. Wow. And uh, we're, we're, I think, in a groove now doing it uh, bi-monthly. And we haven't had any inbound complaints about it, which I, I'm relieved. Uh, you know, we work for you, the SCCA member. And uh, uh, you know, number one thing is to not disappoint you. Um, sure. And, and I think we've been, it's been okay. Uh, I, I wish I still miss seeing it in my mailbox every month right. because that, that's what I live for, but Hey, I'm an audience of one. <laughs> how, how has the content changed over the years? You know, it, it, there used to be a lot of race coverage and I think that may have been something that we don't see as much of, but yeah. how has the content changed over the years? Well, it's changed to become more feature or program directed. Um, before it was, when we first were involved with it, 
it was a lot of race coverage and uh you know the runoffs and the solo nationals are of course sure they're the soul of what we do but um i think that now uh members want to know what other members are doing they want to know about tech anything that's how to do something support you going out with your your car and competing with it and having fun with it those sorts of things that come to the forefront the editorial mix and shining a light on programs that uh because the fcca is changing having a common platform where we could share that out and and uh make sure that people understand what's going on. And it's not a fleeting story on a website that you see go through your newsfeed. It's something sure. that's in your, sitting on your coffee table. You can pick up a read on your nightstand at home, or in the case of most of my friends on the top of the toilet tank. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many issues of sports car I've read in, on, on the throne. And uh, uh, it's, it's the number one uh, place. I think our magazine is read by racers. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so, so before we get to where sports cars going, because, you know, the world has changed, it's, it's a more digital world. And, yeah. and I'm curious to where your thoughts are on where the magazine is going to go. I want to just talk for a few minutes about racer magazine because sure. so, so racer came after sports car, right? Yes. But racer began as an idea, right? During the first, Two months I worked on sports car in 1978 um, and I was writing, we were doing a photo shoot and this is the beginning of, of me thinking I should be a magazine editor too, which is probably the worst idea in <laughs> history. But uh, I got invited by a guy named Tom Spaulding to drive his, the Ski Can-Am car that had won the first new era Can-Am race. It was kind of okay. a Batmobile looking Dayglo orange thing. And being a, you know, a very experienced Formula Ford racer with five races under my belt, I talked my way into this. And uh, Paul Oxman recommended a photographer named Jeff Swart, who was in college, who'd showed some really amazing photographs. One of them, a, a photograph of a pig laying in a pigsty at Zandvoort with a McLaren Formula One car going by in the background. And I, I saw this work and I said, I've got to work with this guy. So we were going to rig this race car up with uh, camera mounts. Mm -hmm. So we were in a long drive to <clears throat> Paso Robles, which is where the shop was. And uh, on the way up there, I was telling him about formula. He was telling me about his dreams. He's in college and at an art center. I'm, you know, already three years into career doing this. And he, he says, uh, you know, it would be great if we could make a magazine someday that that would rival those in Europe and in Japan. And, you know, I said, we've got to do this. And, and we had this passionate talk and we kind of did the uh, look each other in the eye and said, when we're rich and famous, we're going to do this. Now, the rich and famous part eluded me. Now, Jeff is very <laughs> rich and very famous now. He's one of the top director uh, cameramen in the world of motorsports. He's a Porsche Um uh, spokesperson and has won Pikes Peak seven or eight times, was an SCCA Pro Rally champion, and he's just an amazing talent. Right. But we kept our word to each other and we came together and took what limited resources we had in 1991 uh, and produced it, uh, the Launch Racer. And one of the people that was a cheerleader and helping me on every step of the way that realized this would be good for the club was SCCA President Nick Craw, who personally made the phone calls to a number of his colleagues, friends that he knew that might ultimately 
invest later in the cycle of development of this magazine and provided appropriate guidance. Uh, he was still a hard ass on us about the uh, sports car contract in the magazine, but he saw what we were doing and really appreciated its potential. And I was, I will tell you, I'm just deeply appreciative because everybody on that team was also working on sports car while we were doing it. And mm -hmm. we didn't slack on sports car. It right. continued to be excellent. And we just added capability, made it a few changes. Once we got it going, we had two magazines that were complementary, which helped our business really grow. It's interesting that you mentioned that this started with you and, and a, a fantastic photographer, because I mentioned off the top of the podcast that I, I think that Racer Magazine is the most beautiful motorsports magazine ever published. The photography was second to none. And when Racer came out, Road and Track and Auto Week, they were all four color set magazines, but they weren't all focused on racing. They, had, they yeah. focused on other things. You had National Speed Sport News, which is, you know, was a newspaper. So, you, you know, right. you could only do so much with newsprint as far as a magazine looks. But as a photographer, and when I first started, when Racer first came out, I was in high school and uh, wanted to be a photojournalist. It was just spectacular. And it has always been spectacularly beautiful. And, you know, I, I read the articles, but I bought the magazine for the photos and I just loved it. Well, well, thank you. And that's that was one of the most important things. It's an emotional sport. And uh, we weren't here. We had really short form race reports in the very first year or two. And I, I just wanted them out. I didn't want them in the magazine because they would, there was another place for them. That I knew I had an intuition that we there'd be another way to do that. And sure enough, we launched Racer.com in 1997. Um, and, uh, and that's been the most phenomenal growth story. <laughs> I'll tell you that, but the, the thing is that we want people to feel what we feel when we look at motorsports and that's an emotional reaction. And someone, uh, one of our photographers, Tony Dezino once called racer, a love letter to the sport. Mm, and so good. That's, that's what we think it is. And we love motorsport in all its diverse forms. And, uh, and I think that uh, our, many of our initial subscribers were SCCA members. Our first subscriber was Paul Hasselgren, who was building engines in Formula Atlantic at the time. Sure. Uh, and our first advertiser was Mazda, who we knew through all of our conversations with them about where they should race their cars in SCCA, because they were just down the street. Um, our, uh, our intern editor, uh, uh, Mitch McCullough, who was an avid SCCA pro rallyist, ended up marrying the ad director at Must. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we it, it, by the way, there's just a network of people beyond Racer that are SCCA people working in these companies uh, that helped lift us up uh, and, and turned us into uh, uh, the company we are. We didn't do this alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're in 2021. We're in a still in a pandemic. Uh, even before the pandemic, the publishing industry was just hurting so badly uh, in yep. many areas because of the internet and, you know, people wanting their, their news immediately and everything's got a phone and a pad and all this kind of stuff. So, so where is sports car and racer going now with the situation that we're all looking at both the pandemic and also just the world of publishing? Well, it's, it's interesting because it's the best of times and the worst of times. Um, I'll start with the worst of times because uh, we're still recovering um, from, we, we lost a significant amount of money in, in 
2020. There was just no way around it. Even with PPP loans, everything else, it just, the business stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't alone. Now the scale of our loss and the scale of the challenge we faced is significantly smaller than the tens of millions of dollars some of the larger media companies lost. But it was just it was meaningful uh, mm-hmm, amount of money, and we've 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 managed to get through it. A lot of sacrifice by our team, uh, and just being really frugal with everything. We we've, we've gotten through it, um, and latter part of last year, something started to happen that we saw this growth right away on the website because people were home and they would, they would gravitate on racer.com. They would gravitate to what they like. So in, um, in 2020, we added 2 million users over the year before, um, of the pre-pandemic year wow. of 2019. Uh, by this time next week, uh, we will have crossed adding 4 million users to 2020 wow. and the growth will be past 10 million users so far this year is that and annual annual users Got yes. it. okay and no so i wish it was monthly but <laughs> but we're we're pretty much at or above a million plus every month now where we were in that 400 to 500,000 range before pandemic and we had a month that was nearly 1.5 million we had a million shares of content off the site in may so what's happened is, is the website, which was a loss leader, has tipped over to become quite profitable and it is a real business now. The magazines are limping. And one of the unfortunate things is people just wrote magazines off, but the magazines actually, Racer grew in circulation. Vintage Motorsport grew in circulation mm. during pandemic. Um, sports car uh, uh, is, and Racer are, are, are doing a little better than Vintage Motorsport. A lot of the smaller businesses were impacted. Sure, uh, sure. But we believe in all of this. Uh, we're managing our way through it. Uh, and we think we've got a great future. Um, so nobody uh, takes any of this personally. It's like, gee, we failed. We survived. And we've had to do this before multiple times during the 40 years we've been involved. We've been through a lot of recessions and problems. Nothing quite like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we see now is integrating the magazine and the social and the print into one buy is what's working because right. we're able to activate promotion and content marketing in addition to just pure advertising. And that seems to be the secret sauce for us. We're really coming out of it. We're, we're just absolutely slammed with proposals and presentations right now, people inbound wanting to know about our platforms. And we're able to integrate them across all three magazine brands and the two um uh, web brands and we're, we're on the USA Today sports media group platform since May oh, okay. 2018. So that means we still, still our website. We still own it. We just pay them to be on their WordPress VIP platform. But what that has given us is all of the tools that a big company like Gannett has for social distribution, off-platform distribution like the Apple News, Google News, we're much more visible in search. We're moving right now in the process of moving Vintage Motorsport onto that. Okay. And uh, it's going to be in January. It'll be on that platform as well. You know, I think the only missing link we have, I, I wish we had a closer relationship with SCCA on the digital side uh, because I know we could help. Uh, the, the scale that we've been able to add to everything by touching it uh, with these tools sure. is enormous. Uh, I mean, it's last week on Wednesday, we had 145,000 people on racer.com. Wow. 
Um, an average day is about 40 to 45,000 people on racer.com. So what was Wednesday? What happened that, that uh, made that? What, it was what just was a that? combination of stories. We okay. just had protests in Formula One. Right. We had uh, and some NASCAR news. Um, IndyCar drives the top level of traffic normally, but we're really quiet on IndyCar news right now. Sure. So a lot of this has been just coming from the things outside of that. And when something takes off on social, like when it's on Google News or Apple News, especially Google News, maybe Facebook distributed stuff on mobile that's tied to Google News, boom. We, we had one day in in middle part of March this year that was 315,000 people on the website over a comment that Kyle Bush made about, you know, it felt like his team had been switched out because he had new crew members. He felt like he'd changed teams. That story went viral. Right. And so we live in a world where all sorts of things were possible. I would never have imagined back yeah. in when I began this journey uh, with Finish Line magazine or Formula right. magazine, which were, you know, under 2000 readers at the time, both of those magazines, you know, we get 2000 readers between the hour of midnight and 1am. How, how is that? <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I mean, because they're, they're coming from around the world sure. mostly, but they're, sure. they're people up that are looking at racing yeah. stuff. So it changes your perspective on right. things a little bit. And you can see what people are engaging in. It's nice to know they engage in SCCA content. You know, uh, I think the news that went up, uh, uh, last night about uh, the reformatting of SCCA road racing programs just overnight, it almost had nearly 600 shares. Right. So I want the SCCA national office and our fellow members to remember people actually care about what we do. If you tell them about it. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of why I started the podcast. You know, I I think there's just an appetite for information and, you know, and, and I'm a, broadcast radio guy. So yeah. it's, uh, it's one of the things I've always thought about doing. And, and finally, I just said, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So I did it. And uh, it's the same concept, you know, and, and it's been very well received. And, and I'm really happy about it. And I'm, I'm proud of the work that, that we're doing here. So I, I it's, 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 a, it's, there's just such an appetite for, and I also think there's, there's an appetite for like a podcast toward, towards a younger generation of racer. So, and, Agreed. and that's who we need to start trying to reach because, you know, folks like you and me, we're, we're getting up in the years and yeah, uh, we, we got but you know, I, I, you know, it's harder <laughs> and harder for me to find a place to park my rascal scooter when I'm at the racetrack. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the thing I think it's really fascinating, especially during pandemic, the largest and fa- the fastest growing, it's not the largest, but it's the fastest growing segment is 18 to 24. Right. Often the second fastest growing is 24 uh, 20, 25 to 34. Okay. So That's what's good. happened during pandemic is we've really attracted up, you know, uh, it's the, the, the audience is getting younger rapidly. Right. Uh, at the height of pandemic, we saw a real spike in female audience that's leveled off. It's still above where it was, but was a real surge uh, during the middle part of the pandemic right. uh, because people, everybody was home. So it meet, leads me to believe women are working harder than men because they're, they're not on racer.com as much as they were behind the pandemic. And, and that's always been the case, by the way. Women have always had to work and have worked harder than men. So, Well, I've noticed that in the FCCA as well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but my, uh, you know, my other thought here is that we had 
uh, something kind of shocking when we first went into pandemic, we started covering all of the live esports events mm-hmm. because there was nothing else to do. And people were showing up in the same numbers on our website to watch esports events yep. that they were, uh, and they were engaging in the comments and the shares and the arguments about what happened in the same level of you know energy that they were for live events. And you know, I raise an eyebrow thinking. Are we missing something as a sport yeah. by not having an off-season esports championship? Are we missing recruiting opportunities by not really leaning into these things more formally and then tying them to our physical realm, racing and motorsports activities? I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, we're, we're getting up to that point where I say to myself, it's time to wrap up and I would love to continue the conversation, but it's been so good. As, as a club member for going on 35 or so years now, I, I, I'm so happy to have the opportunity to thank you for all the efforts you've put into the club. It's, it's why you've been nominated and induct and going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, I have spent hours on Sports Car Magazine. I have spent hours reading my racer. Uh, I've spent hours on racer.com and, and it is the place that I've gone for years. And, and when I started doing this coverage of motorsports, it's kind of the, the gold standard that I've tried to live up to in my, my career. And, and it's because of everything that you've done. And, and, and I speak, I don't think I'm speaking out of school by speaking for club members for the last many, many, many years. We can't thank you enough for all the efforts you put in to make the club help make the club what it is today. Well, Brent, thank you. And, you know, my, uh, I, you know, I have a, a closing thought I'd like to share with you. My personal motto is life works with commitment. It doesn't work, work without it. Mm. And I learned that in the SCCA. That's um, fantastic. And the other motto is victory travels at the speed of thought. And wow. I learned that in the SCCA. It's fantastic. And, and if you want a life in motorsport, uh, and you want to be part of this world, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've said it multiple times in interviews, uh, join the SCCA, you'll meet everybody you're destined to meet, and you will find uh, your true self. Well, that is a perfect place to end this. Thank you for being with us today. And I, I just, it's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, absolutely, Brian. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is and leave a question on Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. You can also keep up with us on the official SCCA Facebook page. We post everything up there as well. Have yourself a great week and go play with cars. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.